Christ is baptized in the Jordan. Well, you know it. You were here in the feast. You would have felt it. There's plenty about uh, Jordan water if you want to take more home with you. You know, if you've got your water bottle, you can chug the water and then fill it up and take it home. Um, we will remove it after uh, today's liturgy. Jesus did not begin his public ministry on the steps of Jerusalem. He didn't go to the navel of Judea. He didn't go to the temple precincts. He didn't even go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and say, I am. He did none of that. That we would have thought a man who was going to inaugurate the new kingdom would do for the Jewish people. No. He went to a backwater place. A forgotten place. Nothing significant would happen, have happened out there. The land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, heathen Gentiles, the people living in darkness, it was called the shadow, living in the shadow of death. That's where he chose to start. That land had been forgotten since the kingdom had been divided. By the time the kingdom was divided after Solomon, around 922-ish, already problems had started developing in the kingdom of Israel. Darkness was already setting in. Conflicts were arising between the north and the south in the kingdoms. Where was the right place to worship? Darkness was settling in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, Prophets were sent, the prophets were heeded, and through the course of the Assyrians coming once or twice, pulling all the Jews out, it was left desolate, except for a few scattered Jews that remained. This land began to be filled with Gentiles, a forgotten water. By 582, the southern kingdom had fallen for the same reasons. They had forgotten God and were drugged into Babylon. And they were when they were released to come and they could rebuild the temple, those Jews in Jerusalem did not consider the Jews that were remnant up in Zebulun and Naphtali in the northern region even to be Jews. They were considered second class, if Jews at all. They were truly in the dark. Jesus didn't even start in his hometown of Nazareth where he could work very little miracles because of their lack of faith. He went to the most remotest part of the Davidic kingdom that had been darkness for probably the longest. And there he would begin his ministry. It was a grassroots effort. Just a few people 12 of his closest, and then maybe 72, and a little more would begin to develop. And this community would begin to grow around Jesus, and it would become a great throng. My gosh, we're ready to start a kingdom here on earth. The divinity kingdom is going to arise again. We're going to overcome the world. 
and sin happened. Jesus was put to death. Most thought that all hope was lost. But through Christ's resurrection, Jesus would instill and inflame their hope again. And starting with the small remnant, He would begin to build the kingdom, His kingdom. And it would begin to grow, and it would begin to spread. And all of a sudden, it was free to be a Christian in the world. Constantinople would flourish. In time, Rome would flourish. All the world is going to be Christian. And then sin happened. We find ourselves today in the land of Zebulun, in the land of Naphtali, the heathen Gentiles living in the shadow of death. All manner of things are happening in our lives. Rebellions, insurrections, wars, rumors of wars. Why? Because of sin. Pure and simple. Sin. Our patron saint faced these very same things in his days when he was exiled not once or twice, but three times. He was slandered. Treated unjustly. Imagine that, one of the greatest saints in the church undergoing what we've had to undergo. And he's got a people that are all riled up, all concerned, because they too have fallen prey to the fact that God had come to set up an earthly kingdom. When Jesus clearly said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is of heaven. Jesus did not come to build an earthly kingdom He came to save souls for the heavenly kingdom. This world is fleeting. There was a little post going around put out by Father Freeman and it was sent to me and it's so apropos for today. In the light of recent events, he's writing to one of his followers. Her name's Saint Olympia now after his unjust exile. Therefore do not be cast down, I beseech you. For there is only one thing, Olympia, to fear, only one real temptation, and that is sin. This is the refrain that I keep chanting to you unceasingly, for everything else is ultimately a fable. Whether you speak of plots, or enmities, or deceptions, or slanders, or abuses, or accusations, or confiscations, or banishments, or sharpened swords, or high seas, or war, a war engulfing the entire world. Whichever of these you point to, they are transitory and perishable, and they only affect mortal bodies. They cannot in any way injure the watchful soul. 
This is why wishing to express the worthlessness of both the good and the bad things of this present life, the blessed Paul stated the matter in one phrase saying, the things that are seen are transient. They're only here for a while and then they're gone. But what about us who live on after this life? That's what we need to be concerned about. Sin is a result of, of our fall, of our pride. It's affected every aspect of our lives. It's gotten us into hysteria. It's gotten people split between family members, even within old church communities. Divisions are developing. It's the devil at work, and he's having a heyday. What do we do about it? What the world needs now is heroic faith. The world needs heroic virtue. The world needs heroic asceticism. I keep hearing about the Great Reset. Even Cardinal Burke mentioned it. The soft reset, a great reset, whatever you want to call it. Well, I'll tell you where a reset needs to happen, and it better well happen in our hearts. In the very core of who we are. Last night we read about Jonah being sent to, to the Ninevites, telling them that destruction is coming. Repent, or destruction will be upon you. And so they wore sackcloths and ashes, and they fasted, even the animals, and punishment was averted. We might find ourselves just like the Hebrews of old, out in the desert, running off like people are doing today after all the gods around them, gods of this political figure, the gods of that political figure, the gods of this government, the god of that idolatry, the god of this idolatry. Instead of following the one true God, instead of looking to Him, they're trying to build an earthly kingdom. They're putting all their hope into a man, a woman, whatever you want to call them, into some political ideology or something, as if that's going to change the world, and suddenly we're all going to go into heaven. And it's not going to happen, because sin is ruling the world. The prince of darkness is at hand right now, and Jesus said he was. Why don't we believe him? Why don't we believe him when he says the kingdom, his kingdom is in heaven? We've lost our focus. We've lost where the light is. We're allowing reflections to be the light, not the true light. We need a great, great reset in our own heart. We need heroic asceticism, heroic virtue, heroic faith. It's the only way it's going to happen. We need to be searching the scriptures, not searching internet engines. We need to be saying our prayers and reading holy books, not the gods and not reading the books about the gods of, of psychology or self-help or this political or that political. We need to be running to church not to rallies. 
I'm not saying burying our head in the sand. I'm not saying that those things out there aren't happening. But let's get our priorities straight. We profess to be a kingdom, the people of God. But we're not living like a people of God. We're living like the people of men. And we're allowing that to dictate our faith. We're allowing that to dictate our salvation. So we need to make a change. We are in the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, here on Beacon Hill. This little insignificant church in the fair course of the whole world, this little insignificant church in this city that doesn't like us, this little tiny church, it has to start here. And it has to start not with the building, but with you and I in our own hearts. We have to be a people of repentance. What's an example of that? Well, if we were reading the lives of the saints, we would see it. If we were leaving the lives of the desert fathers and mothers, we would see what that looks like. That's heroic virtue. That's an heroic asceticism. The monks of Mount Athos, the monks in Russia, the monks in our own country that are striving to live that life, setting aside all the worldly cares. But we're called to it too. It's just not for monks and nuns. Salvation for all of us, and we all have a part to play. So now's the time to repent. Now's the time for sackcloth and ashes. You know, Moses was able to stop the whole Hebrew people being wiped out by laying them before the doors of the meeting tent, beseeching God on behalf of the people. One man saved a whole nation. St. Seraphim the Seraph would say, if you find the spirit of peace in your own heart, a thousand souls can be saved. Imagine how many people are here this morning, how many thousands can be saved, if we can just find that spirit of peace within our own heart. But it doesn't come without work. It doesn't come without effort. It doesn't come without determination. And it requires us to put away all the other worldly distractions and refocus our life. The great reset in the church, not the institution, but the living stones. Jesus started in the backwater with simple words. Reform your lives. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand.